Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Separation is in the Preparation podcast. My guest today is Angel Blue. Angel, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I'm really excited to have you here. How are you? Oh, thank you so much, Wallace. I am so happy to be here, and I'm really well. Thank you. That is so great to hear. I guess to begin, if you could kind of further introduce yourself to the listener a little bit and then uh, talk a little bit about what you do. Yes. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here, and I hope everyone is feeling good and inspired and uplifted, motivated. My name is Angel Joy Blue. I like to say the joy because I try to be a happy person filled with joy. I feel like my parents gave me that name for a reason. They kind of destined me to have this in my heart, you know, to have this kind of everlasting joy inside of me. I'm an international opera singer. I've had the privilege of singing all over the world which has been a huge blessing to me. And I also have a a sort of web series of my my own that I do called Faithful Friday. And it's just meant to uplift people and encourage them in their journey. But that's just about all there is to say about me. I'm originally from Southern California, and uh, but I currently live in New Jersey and I love the East Coast. Yeah, no, this is great. I mean, I am all the way across the country from Angel on the Zoom call, but I can feel the positivity and uplifting <laughs> spirit through, uh, through, through the computer already. So that I'm, ex- I'm already excited for this. Um, I guess I'm always curious with my guests kind of how they got started on the path that they've chosen to pursue. And in your case, I guess it kind of starts with just singing in general. So can you remember, like, you have, your, you have sort of a first memory of singing or what that was like with you as, as a young kid? Yeah, you know, my my dad has a huge, has had and still has a huge influence on my life. Um, my father was an opera singer. He studied classical music. I mean, his his job was, he was a pastor, a preacher, but he also sang and he was educated in classical singing. But my my love came for opera because I got to see my dad sing and enjoy music so much. So for me, I started, I saw my first opera when I was four years old and I wanted to become an opera singer when I was six. So, I mean, I've just, my whole life has just been about this great art form that is known as opera. I find it so intriguingly, just always fascinating, no matter what opera I'm watching. I feel like I always learn something whenever I go to an opera, whether it be about the audience or the orchestra or the people on stage singing, I'm always learning. So I got bit by the bug when I was four and I can't tell you how old I am, but it's been there for well over 30 years. (laughs) Wow. And was there, I mean, at least from my vantage point, like singing opera is not necessarily a kind of a common path to go along, at least in the United States. And, or maybe I'm just revealing like how uncultured I am or how little I know about <laughs> opera in general. Was there ever any kind of temptation to take your singing and your voice into a different genre or, or different route? Or it seems, or is it just the kind of the family influence of opera that kind of sets you on that path early? No, for sure. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, opera, I think, has become more popular here within like the last 20 years in the United States. I I think when my dad was studying it, which was back in like the 70s, um, early, I'd say the early 70s when my father was studying it, I I don't think it was as popular to be for for people. Let's put it this way. It wasn't as competitive. Mm. Today, it's very, very competitive. So you're absolutely right to say that it is sort of a, I guess, um, not the conventional path that most Americans would take in terms of being a musician. Um, but for me, I, you know, I, I fell in love with it so early and I definitely thought of other genres because I grew up also singing gospel. I, as you know, my dad's a pastor, so I grew up in church. Um, 
singing gospel and uh, also ballads and even country music. So I've definitely thought of other genres, but for sure the one that kind of just, I think that sort of pulled me to it that I gravitated towards was just classical music. I mean, it's, it's a dramatic art form and I'm sure you can tell I'm a dramatic person. So <laughs> it kind of works. <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, you talked a little bit earlier about like how you fell in love with opera and the opportunity it gives you to kind of learn a little bit more about yourself, about the audience, about the venue. Can you, I guess, talk a little bit more about what makes opera music so special for you? Oh, yes. I, you know, for me, I, for me, the thing I love the most about it is it really does bring me back to my middle name, which is joy. Mm. And it really does bring me joy. It makes me happy. When I think about singing, I start smiling. I get really giddy and excited about it. And so I suppose when I go to the opera, especially now that we're actually able to go back into live performances, it's been really wonderful to walk into an opera house and feel the buzz of the audience beforehand and see how everybody's excited. You know, some people come to the opera and they're dressed like they just go full out. They have gowns on and their makeup and hair are done, you know, and then other people show up and they kind of look like day to day. However, you walk into the supermarket, which is, I just want to put this out there, is totally fine. <laughs> you know, it's okay to go to the opera and wear a baseball cap like you have on, you know, okay. or, or go to the opera with the jersey on. That's okay. I'm saying it's okay. Other people might have a different opinion, but in right. my opinion, that should be okay. I love seeing things like that. I like seeing people um, be happy. And I, I suppose when I go to the opera, I see the, the joy in people coming to be entertained by this grand and great old art, art form. So it's really nice uh, to experience that. Whenever I learn something from the orchestra, I actually saw uh, the dress rehearsal for this uh, for this concert called it's it's um, it, it's a con a concert's different from an opera it's still sort of the same setup it's just there aren't like costumes and and uh, there's there's always a story to follow but it's not like a play it's just sort of music written and people stand there and they sing it so I went to this concert and it was called the Verdi Requiem and it was the last the last thing one of the last things that Verdi wrote and the conductor the gentleman who who or who um. How do you explain that? <laughs> the conductor is the person who, who is the head of the orchestra. So they're, they're leading the orchestra and the singers and if you're at a ballet, they're leading the orchestra and the dancers. So the conductor said to everyone, mark, which I'm not sure if you can do that in football and soccer, if you can mark your game, which means that you're not playing full out. So we're not singing full out, you're marking, which means- you're Like a walkthrough or something like that. A walkthrough, yes. So you're still like doing the thing, but you're just not doing it full out. So I learned from the orchestra that day, I've never experienced this before, but the orchestra, this was at the Metropolitan Opera and it was the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. And they were actually- marking the music and the singers were marking the chorus was marking so I mean that day for me this was a several months ago this is on September I believe it was September the 11th and just watching them mark through this great piece of music if you've ever heard the Verdi Requiem you know that it would be a little bit difficult to mark it because it's so intense so dramatic and so full of passion but it was great to see these musicians all collectively decide how much to pull back. And that day, I feel like I learned um, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, so much great stuff there. I mean, I think first and foremost, it makes me happy to hear somebody talk about what they do with such love and excitement. I mean, you mentioned just your middle name, Joy, right? Every time you're thinking mm -hmm. about what you do, it makes you happy. It makes you giddy. And I think like 
for anybody doing whatever walk of life they've chosen I mean that is what we kind of all want to aspire to right I mean if you yeah, are for sure. like there's the kind of it's kind of a cliche right if you love what you do or lo- lo- love what you do you never work a day in your life and I think that can definitely apply to you and I mean it seems like this joy in singing has always been the case and if that's true when did you sort of really decide like this is something I love this is something I'm have a really good aptitude at and I really want to pursue this for full time and kind of go that route versus a t- more traditional schooling Yes. Well, I was 14 years old when my parents decided that I needed to go to a special school because I, I definitely was very interested in learning opera and, and in learning how to have a career in it. And it was my mom actually, who told me, she said, listen, there's a a school in Los Angeles that you can go to. It's called the Los Angeles County high school for the arts. And she's like, you can go to this school and they can teach you how to, you know, further you in, in the opera world. And you can also take gospel, gospel chorus. I was in the gospel choir. I was in, at one point I was in the jazz quartet. I was in a lot of different things musically and all things musical for me at that point. And it was crazy though, because the school was two hours away from my house. So I grew up in a town called Apple Valley and mm-hmm. the school was in Los Angeles. So I made the commute every day, two hours, one way, two hours back home. And so it was a four hour trip total. But I guess that was when I really decided that the, the aspiration that I had to become an opera singer was, it was going to take some sacrifice. It was going to take a lot of dedication. And I understood that from a very young age, but I would say when I really knew that I could have an opera career, like when I really knew that I could do this thing called international opera singing, I was 26 years old. And it was, it was when I first went to Europe and I, it just opened up an entirely new world for me. You know, when I, when I think of it, it makes me want to cry because it was so just, it's one thing to have a dream, but when you start realizing your dream and your dream becomes reality and you've worked really hard to get there, that's just a, it's like a whole nother level, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, yeah, it's goosebumps on my end, kind of hearing you talk about it, but I guess to backtrack a little bit from there, was there any additional schooling or training that you decided to go on to after, after studying at LA County? Yes, there was a lot. I would say, honestly, if I had to put that period into one word, I would say discourage. Mm because it was just a lot of no's. I heard no, no, no. I auditioned for, or actually I shouldn't even say that because I didn't get the audition, but I would send in my CD, you know, at the time we had to send in our our CDs and goodness, I, I tried to get into so many conservatories on the East Coast because I desperately wanted to get out of Los Angeles and go to the East Coast. I wanted to sing at the Metropolitan. I wanted to be affiliated with Juilliard and, you know, just the whole I don't know, the whole East Coast opera scene, but the places that I applied to, uh, the schools, all of them sent me rejection letters. I didn't get into into not one, not one conservatory, which was, you know, at the time when I was like, what, 17, 18. And then I, I went to the, my undergrad was at the University of Redlands. And that was great. I needed that. You know, I didn't know that I needed that at the time. But it was wonderful to go to that school and then grow more. And then I auditioned again, or I tried to audition again for the same schools that I was rejected from before. And I got a second rejection letter from all of those conservatories. So, you know, at 21, 22, I was like, okay, my life is over and I'm not going to sing opera. That's what I was thinking. Um, But then it's really interesting the way it happened because 
I really, you know, I'm, I'm a believer and I really do believe that God orders our steps. 100%. I believe that. And that's always been for me. That is, that's the only way that I can live my life is to know that there is that God is looking at me and he's like, angel, I have this path for you. And part of my path was all the rejection. You know, it seems weird to say that, but it is true. So basically from the time I went from high school, which was, I graduated when I was 17 and getting the rejections into the conservatories and then the rejections in for the, for the master's degree. Also, um, I found myself at UCLA, which I thought I would never get into because you have to be smart to go to UCLA. And I didn't, I'm a, I'm an opera singer. I'm not like a, you know, I didn't have the best grades. I didn't, my, I have three older sisters, all of whom went to UCLA and they maintained like 3.8, 4.0 GPA. Wow. I had a 2.87, I think, or something like that. And then, I mean, then it got higher and then I got like 3.23 and stuff like that. And it was, but I, I was about a low BC average student. And uh, so I, I didn't expect to get into UCLA, but when I did, it led to so many other things. And from there, I then I went to Los Angeles Opera while I was at UCLA and I got into their young artist program from that young artist program, I met Placido Domingo. Placido Domingo was the one who introduced me then to Europe. So I do feel that there was a reason for all of that rejection. So that intermittent time was just really, wow. It was really a time for growth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hearing you talk about opera singing, it's, it's, it, it's easy for me to tell like what it means to you and how much you love it. And it seems like that's been the case from a really young age. And you talked about when you started at LA County school, acknowledging that this was not only going to be something you love, but it was going to be something that you had to sacrifice a lot for. And I think sacrifice in and of itself is difficult, but to sacrifice the way that you did with the commute and the time that you put in, and then to be faced with the, the number of no's that you faced and to still persevere. Um, again, it's a, it's a testament to, to you and, and what you and your sort of drive and passion for what you do. Um, you talked about your faith as kind of being a grounding sort of foundational piece for you throughout that process. Was there anything else that like, because I mean, I hear about, I, I know people, at least on the athletic side, who've started training for whatever event at a very young age, and there's a, there's an element of burnout that happens. Has, has singing for you always been something that you just have loved so much? Or was, that, was there ever a time where you were like, I really don't want to be singing anymore, or I'd rather be singing something else? Or of course. Yes. I, I feel like, honestly, I feel like I'm kind of burned out right now, to be mm. honest. I'm just being real. Mm. Um, you know, we were in a lockdown for 18 months and I didn't do an opera for 18 months. And then all of a sudden I'm going to clap. So if you have your earphones in, I hope it's not too loud, but then all of a sudden it was like, get back on it, you know, and go yeah. really quickly back into the opera. I, I did two operas at one time after 18 months of not working in that capacity. So you know, I'm tired. I'm just being real. <laughs> I know that mm. some people are like, oh, don't say you're tired. You know, don't show any weakness and all that. And that's, no. that's fine for some people, but you know, I, I do have to be honest with myself. And, and I, I believe that comes out also when I speak to people, but for sure, there are times when I definitely feel like, okay, I need a break and it needs to be a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was, um, gosh, I guess I'm going to date myself here, but I feel like, I feel like just five, six years ago, um, when I was in my early thirties, oops, <laughs> when I was in my early thirties, I feel like I was really, um, I was tired just so I was tired of like hustling, 
you know, I just felt like I was hustling, hustling, hustling. So for the international opera singer to have the title of an international opera singer, it means just that you're singing internationally. So you're constantly flying. You're constantly living out of your suitcase. You're constantly learning music. I was in, um, in 2018, just a few years ago, I was in like 10 countries within, I think it was within 10 months. And I was just exhausted. I was just so tired. I was learning music on the plane. I posted it. My mom went with me. I was singing down in Singapore for the first time I was, I was traveling there to sing. And my mom went with me and she took a picture of me on the plane. And I have my little keyboard, my keyboard's like as big as, as long as my arm and on my keyboard, you know, I'm, I have the music up in the seat and I'm sitting there trying to learn the music on the plane. And my mom said, Angel, you just go nonstop. You're just not stop. And I said, yeah. And she said, at some point you're going to, you know, you will need to take a break. And I said, I, I get that, you know, then COVID happened and I got the break that I wanted, you know, I didn't, you know, at, at the expense of, right. of it being a pandemic, but for sure it was definitely needed. So I find, I guess my answer, I'm long-winded as you can see, I'm sorry, but I guess my thing with burnout is I'm learning. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm learning that I need breaks. I don't know how long, like exactly what I usually with breaks, I just don't sing. I don't even go to my piano and look at music, but I'm learning that the breaks are important. They're just as important as the hustle. Mm, absolutely. No, I mean, it's so, so refreshing and great to hear you say that because as someone who's reached a really, really high level of their career and are an international performer to hear you talk about like one getting tired of something that you love so much, right? Which is kind of a paradox in and of itself, right? How can I be tired of something that I love so much? But I think it takes real honesty and sort of introspection on your part to be able to look at how you're feeling and what's making you feel that way and to realize that taking a break from something that you love is, is, uh, is what you need to do. And I think that, again, like many of the things that you've said, it applies to everybody in sort of whatever walk of life um, you've chosen. Have there been... I mean, you mentioned having to learn two operas at the same time and not to try and like compare that to something else, but I would imagine like that's, that's trying to like simultaneously like run the 400 meters and train for the high jump. Is it, is, is it that difficult to do them simultaneously? <laughs> t t talk a little bit about that process, please. Listen, I can't, I'm doing good if I can get from here to upstairs in my bedroom. So <laughs> I can only imagine running a 400. Um, sorry. Uh, I, I think it probably is about the same thing. I mean, really an athlete you'll hear opera singers say all of the time that we're athletes absolutely you'll hear them say that all the time i refrain from that i try not to say <laughs> it um is it refrain or restrain i can't i think it's i don't know the right word i'll maybe say both. i try not yeah maybe <laughs> i try not to say that only because I, I have a lot of respect for athletes my brother is an athlete and i you know i'm, I'm definitely not on that same thing i think what makes opera singers similar to athletes is probably the thing of how we use our bodies where our body my body has I have to feel good in my body in order for me to sing well so I would yes I would liken it to the same thing the the amount of stress that goes into keeping your body I guess alert aware and physically healthy to be able to do your job is is definitely I don't know if I'm answering the question but I I would say it's the same for me the harder part of it is I think it's just a memorization you know I was actually mm -hmm 
learning an opera in French and learning another opera in German. And I'm 100% American. So I'm sitting here like, you know, what's the French word for, I don't know, for sister. And then how do I say, you know, what's the, what's the, uh, the German word for sister. And I'm making sure that one is on one side of the brain and the other's on the other. So they don't mix, you know, that's probably, I guess, maybe the only difference if there was one. Yeah. No, I mean, learning one language on, on its own is difficult. And I mean, I can, my word, I'd be singing in German and then all of a sudden French starts to creep in or, yes. or vice versa. Um, and I, and I mean, I definitely want to talk more about the preparation and the recovery aspect of how you take care of your voice and take care of yourself. Cause I think that's so, so important, but I want to backtrack a little bit. You talked about Placido Domingo and how he kind of introduced you to the European opportunities. I guess if we can rewrite to rewind to that time when you said you were 26 and in Europe for the first time, kind of how did that happen? Because I mean, I think, or, or, or what transpired from there? Because I think in, in, in a career like yours, people always talk about like your big break or like how like you got your first opportunity. So what sort of transpired and took place for you to kind of really get going once you arrived in Europe? Oh man, you know, Europe was just different on every level. It was just so and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% American. I love the United States. I mean, I'm one of those people that wears red, white, and blue for like the entire week of the 4th of July. You know, I love it there. I love it here. But I mean, when I went to Europe, I think the biggest, the biggest eye-opener for me was seeing other young people like myself. Because I, I, I saw that, of course, in my high school. Uh, and I also saw it in a bit in college. But I think going to Europe and seeing how... I, I know that we're not supposed to compare ourselves to other people and I do my best not to, but comparing myself to people outside of the United States and seeing where I fit into the scope of opera and in my age range at the time, it was very uplifting to me because I, I saw people who were just like me, you know, other young people, 25, 26, 27, really excited about listening to Verdi, really excited about singing Puccini, you know, and, and that was just an eye opener for me. I think, you know, sometimes we don't um, always appreciate where we're from and it, it takes the out something outside to help us really appreciate what we have, where we were. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think Europe did that for me at going overseas and being trained uh, strong. I was trained very, very heavily in Spain and also in Germany, Italy, Austria. And then I moved to London. And then when I came back to the United States, I think I, I had more of a, of an appreciation for, for the art form and just how much sacrifice goes into doing it. I don't know if I answered that, what, what you were no, no, asking. Absolutely. But... absolutely. Um, is there one performance or even your first aria, which I hope I'm using that correctly, which I yes. think for the listener is essentially a solo in opera, right? Yes. Okay, yes. great. I, I was, I, I did a little opera research. I didn't want to butcher the term, but I'm glad I got it. Um, no, is there awesome. one, is there one of those performances or moments that you can remember from, uh, from that time in Europe that really sort of stands out to you as like, this was a moment that I like, was like, it's kind of a turning point or a touchstone that pushed you forward into, into what you've become now. I feel like it actually wasn't during that time. I think it was just a couple of years ago yeah. in, in 2019, which is just two years ago. Uh, I was, I, I'm, I'm, I became the first black woman to sing in the entire country of Italy, the role of La Traviata. So basically there, Italy has, I mean, Italy, we, we thank Italy because we, that's why we have operas because of the Italians, you yeah. know, um, but there's a great opera written by a composer named Giuseppe Verdi and the opera is called La Traviata. 
or the woman scorned in English. The character's name is Violetta. And everybody wants to sing this role. I would say most people do, most sopranos do, because it's a great role to sing. Well, in 2019, I was actually in living in Redlands, California, and I got a call from my manager. And it was like, my husband and I were getting ready to go up to uh, Napa, Napa Valley to spend the summer, part of the summer there, or not the summer, we were, it was March. What was that called? Spring break. Okay. And, and so um, I get this call in the morning and my manager's like, Hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's eight o'clock in the morning. I just woke up and getting ready to go to Napa. What's up? And he's like, do you want to go to Italy? And I was like, I always want to go to Italy, of course, you know? And so he says, would you like to jump in for Violetta at La Scala, Teatro La Scala, which is in Milano, Milan. And it's like the, one of the most iconic opera houses in the world. And I'm, I'm like, sure. When is it? Well, opera people, opera singers, opera companies, we, um, we organized our schedules several years in advance. So I'm thinking that he's asking me to go to Italy in like 2024, 2025. Yeah. And I said, well, when does the contract start? And he's like, Wednesday. And I believe this, <laughs> I believe this was on a Monday. Oh and I was gosh. like, I was like, so wait, I have to leave like today. And he goes, well, let me see, I'll get back to you. And I looked at my husband and I was like, what should I do? And he's like, go, you should go. And so my husband got on the computer. He's a computer programmer and he starts looking up like all the stuff that's going on in, um, in Italy and like who has sung this opera at this opera house. And he's like, I think you'd be the first black woman to sing this role there. And I said, no way. And he said, yeah, I think so. So sure enough, I get the call back from my manager and he's like, you know, we want you to, I want you to go to, to Italy, get there this day. You have two days of rehearsal, one day off, and then you start the show. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. And it, as it happened, when I got there, when I got to Milan, like the entire city of Milano was like celebrating that I was coming to do this part. And so many of them were saying, this is history. This is history. You're making history. So for me, in, in my book, that's something that means a great, great deal to me. Um, I would say, I don't know if it was, you know, what is, it, what is that called when when someone, when you just called it, I forgot it, like your shining moment or your a turning uh, point, the turning point. I don't think that was necessarily my turning point, but for me, that's something that stands out as, as a very important part of, of what I've been blessed to do. Mm. What? I don't I know. Mean, I hope no, makes- <laughs> yeah. What a powerful and, and special moment. And I mean, it makes me think about like something that I wanted to ask you about kind of in a different different time, but I think it's great to jump in now. I mean, you have done so much and, and achieved so much and, and, and been part of some sort of literally history making performances. Do you sort of see yourself or have you tried to provide yourself as a mentor or role model for other people kind of trying to follow, follow in your footsteps or people who are looking for somebody who is from the same community or are the same race and, and provide some representation and mentorship? And was there somebody for you who was that inspiration as you came up as a young opera singer? Yes, for me, the person I looked up to the most was my dad and, mm. and Leontine Price. I mean, Leontine Price is, is and always will be my favorite opera singer. Uh, and not because she's black, just because she has this amazing voice. You know, whenever I listen to her sing, I, I always cry. I also love Renee Fleming and she's white. And I, same thing, I always cry. I don't, I, I wasn't raised with the idea or the notion that because I'm black, I can only be a mentor to another black woman or a black man. I, Absolutely. I, you know, I sort of feel like if there's someone who wants to be encouraged, you know, 
I, I will, I want to encourage you. Yeah. I want to be there for you. I want to be an uplifter to you. I don't want to tear anyone down. I want to build them up, you know? So, um, I have definitely done a fair share of mentoring and right now I'm actually, I guess I'm mentoring if, if I would call it that there's about three young singers who I speak with just about once a week, just to see where they are kind of in their opera journey and such. And I've, we've, my husband and I actually, we started this uh, program last year called the opera training studio. And the premise of it was to basically encourage financially young singers who are going out for auditions. And so, it, and it wasn't just for young singers of color, it was for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, because let's be real, that was the pandemic, when, which we are still in, yeah. has been very hurtful to a lot of people, you know? And so young singers who are trying to audition, there's like a $250, $300 audition fee, and a lot of them can't afford it, or it's, it's too much or what have you. Uh, maybe maybe they can afford the audition fee, but they're not able to afford the plane ticket. So we wanted to help in some way. So we started this opera training studio. Actually, it's called the Opera Training Studio Audition Award. And we helped uh, 15 students audition last year and this year. Wow. So it's important, I think, you know, to, as they say, pay it forward. It definitely is important to do that kind of a thing. But you know, sometimes, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a financial thing. It can also just be telling someone, hey, you can do it. If I'm here, so can you, you can be here too. Mm-hmm. It's not, there's not just room for one person, you know, there's room for all of us. Yeah, no, that is amazing. And I mean, again, congratulations to you and your husband. I mean, that is so, Thank so, you. so, so cool that you've been able to help provide that opportunity for people who wouldn't have otherwise been able to have it. And I mean, to hear you talk about the way that you try to uplift and include people um, in, in what can I imagine be a really competitive field yes. is, is so, so amazing. So I, I do wonder, like, where does that sort of sit in terms of, I mean, just from speaking with you for the last half an hour, I can tell you're just one of the most inclusive, uplifting, welcoming people there is. How do you try and operate while staying true to those things that I imagine are really close and important to you within sort of the, the sphere of, of high-performing arts, which are so competitive and I can imagine be kind of cutthroat at times? Yeah, it can be cutthroat. My mom, <laughs> my mom has a funny saying. She says, Angel, you're in a dog eat dog world. And um, she's funny. <laughs> She'll say that to me. And I, I kind of just sit and listen and, you know, just think, okay, well, I don't want to be one of those dogs that wants to eat another dog. Yeah. That's just kind of, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm getting preachy or anything, but if I'm just being honest with you, I, I sort of just look at all of the things that I've been, that I've been blessed to do in terms of singing, I feel are gifts from the Lord. I really do. Of course, I have to work hard. Of course, I have to know the music. I have to work on my voice. I have to make sure I can sing the notes, make sure I remember the words and all of that. But, you know, Wallace, if I'm honest, God does the rest for me. And I know that if I stick with him, I'll be okay. He's my mm. protection around all the dogs that want to eat the other dogs. <laughs> he's, he's everything for me. You know, I have to do my part for sure. But I really, you know, I, I've, I find that when I am faced with, um, when I'm faced with other, other singers, usually other singers who, uh, you know, carry themselves up very high or feel that, you know, perhaps they feel that they should have something that I have or mm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I try to, I try to respond with love. I try to respond in, in a good hearted way. And 
I do my best to try to understand where they're coming from or why that's happening and not take it personally, you know? And most of the time, I think things like that happen. I know for, for me in, in this art form, I feel like it happens because while there is enough room for everybody, not everybody thinks that. So, you know, I have to respect that everybody's not going to feel the way that I feel um, and, and just be as respectful and kind to them as possible. And trust me, I have had my fair share of incidents. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, just to hear you talk about like encountering people with differences of opinion who want what you have and, and your response is just to treat them with love. I mean, I think that is so, so great. I mean, I can't remember the, who said this, but I think it goes something like the people who are in the most need of love often express it in the most unloving way and to hear you talk about how you encounter people who see things different and not necessarily trying to change their mind but just to treat them with love and kindness I mean I think I don't I won't, I won't say anything more about it because you said it all yourself that that is just so great well thank you so I guess to transition a little bit into sort of the day-to-day of an opera singer, which I'm really curious about, you talked about a little bit earlier, sort of taking care of your voice and before and after sort of what does sort of your voice sort of maintenance and, and, and care look like what, perhaps when you're working on an opera? When I'm working on an opera, mm-hmm. uh, I have to watch myself because I, I do like to talk. I like, I really like to talk. And I, I can be on the phone with my sister for like three hours. And sometimes we're not even talking about anything. We, we might watch a show together or something. Uh, but for the most part, I do my best to be as quiet as I can. I, I, would, I would imagine that, that if one were a, I don't know, like a sprinter, you're not going to probably run on your day off. Perhaps not. I don't know. You know, I try not to use because my, we are, our, our instruments are our bodies, Yeah. you know, so I have to be mindful of what's going on in my throat. I have to be mindful of how often I'm speaking or if, if I'm speaking too loudly. So I won't like go to a bar, you know, where I have or this loud music playing or what have you. So I have to shout because that's, I'm, I'm, I'm stressing out my vocal cords, you know, by, by trying to project over music or other people talking. So one of the biggest things for me is I do my best to stay as quiet as possible. And I have to say during COVID, it's been very helpful to have the mask because most people like don't, you know, on a day off of a show, if I'm going into the store or something, most people won't say anything anyway, because you're masked. Um, I suppose some of the other things I do is I do drink a lot of water to stay hydrated um, because I find that I, I live in a, right now it, the climate is very dry. And so I had a performance um, I had a recital, I think it was 10 days ago and it was really, really dry. So I'm just making sure that I stay um, hydrated. And I also make sure this might sound funny, but it's true. I try not to stress out about things because I find that for myself, I carry my stress in my shoulders and I carry my stress right here in my chest and in my throat. And Mm. I need, that's where, that's like probably one of the biggest parts of my voice that gets my voice up and over the orchestra. So I, I don't know if that answers the question as well. I know other singers have things that they do, like people practice yoga. Um, there are some people I know they they do run on the day of a show. I can't do that myself just because of just the way I've built up my my instrument to to sort of be relaxed that day and not have any kind of strenuous any kind of strenuous activity. I stretch before I sing. Um, but on the day to day, I suppose I just really try not to to do anything that's going to stress my body out because it's my instrument. And so I need yeah. it to be free and open to go for the shows, you know. Absolutely. 
And is there, I'm sure there is, but what's sort of the element of kind of conditioning your voice, especially if it's a situation where you've not been singing and then are coming into sort of starting a new project? Yes. I always warm up. I always warm up. I know some singers won't warm up if they're, you know, if they're not doing a show or something, even on days where we have just rehearsal, uh, because we're, we're called usually six to seven hours a day. And if one is repeating these phrases, you know, we'll do like, let's say we do um, act one, scene one, and let's say scene one is only 10 minutes, but if it's an intense scene, then there's a lot of things that go into the before part of rehearsal that are imperative to being able to do the rehearsal. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'll make sure that I warm up and by warm up, I do, I'll do like lip trill. So I'll go like, I might do that for like five or 10 minutes, you know, and then I'll turn it into something else where I, I might do it on a vowel. So, you know, and I'll do that for five or 10 minutes. And I do my stretches that people can't see me, but I'll put my hands up over my, over my, uh, my head. I have a, like a series of stretches that I do to just kind of open up my, the chest area, because this, you know, if it's, now it's getting all a little bit scientific, but like my sternum has to be high when I sing and I have to be open in my shoulders. So I'm, I'm quite tall and five eleven and a half. So I want to make sure that I have all five eleven and a half of me ready to go for just even that 10 minutes of rehearsal. So I suppose when, in terms of conditioning, it's just about, you know, maintaining what, what you have to do on stage when you are actually performing. And, and that of course is sing. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I hear you talk about utilizing your sternum and maximizing the space with your posture and things like that. And before you mentioned sort of the grind and the hustle of having to travel, especially as an international opera singer and myself, I'm, I'm like six, four and maybe six, five in shoes. If I'm pushing it a little bit, like I sitting on an airplane is uncomfortable and difficult to maintain a good posture. So more for me or for anybody else who has to travel a lot for their work, what were some, some ways that you tried to take the best care of yourself while you were traveling on some pretty long flights? Yes. The longest flight I ever had was from Dubai to Los Angeles. It was six hours, 16. Wow. Oh my gosh. It was 16 hours and 30 minutes. And if I, if I understand correctly, I think Qantas Air is doing something like from London to Australia and it's like 22 hours or something. I don't know. I might, I might have the number wrong. It might be 19, but I know it's a long flight. So in 2018, if I may share this with you really quickly Mm. in 2018, I went from I'm going to try to get this correct. Okay. Don't mess it up. Angel. I went from Los Angeles to South Korea, South Korea to Singapore, Singapore, back to South Korea, South Korea to LA, LA to Portland, Portland to Seattle, Seattle, back down to Ontario airport, also in Southern California. Then I drove to LA and then I went from Los Angeles and this is all within, I want to say a month and a half. Oh my goodness. I went from Los Angeles to Sydney, Australia, from Sydney, Australia to Abu Dhabi, from Abu Dhabi to Astana, Kazakhstan. And then from, yes, <laughs> Astana, Kazakhstan. That was my first time singing in Kazakhstan. And then from Kazakhstan, I went to South Korea and then South Korea back to Los Angeles. I learned two operas on the two long flights. What I learned from, I share that not to impress you, but to share with you that if you fly with, I think their name is Asiana or Asiana Air, Airlines. That's who I flew with from the very last leg of the trip, which was from, from South Korea to, to LAX. They have like the last 
20 minutes of the flight, a series of stretches that you can do. And I was very blessed because the opera company uh, flew me business. So I would recommend when you fly a long time, that I know that wasn't the question, but when you're flying for these long periods of flights to do some, some stretches while you're seated, of course, people can do it, you know, during the flight, but they actually have a series of stretches that help as you're descending on the airplane, which I never knew until I took that flight. I thought oh, that was wow. really great. Yeah. Yes. But for sure, one of the things I try to do when I travel on those long haul flights, though, is I do my best to sleep on them. And uh, I try to eat according to what is happening where I'm going to be landing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if I'm getting on a flight in LA and I'm going to Asia, then I know that if they're about to have dinner, then I'll have dinner and try to sleep as soon as, as I can. I don't know. I, I probably went totally on a tangent with that. <laughs> no, that is so great. I mean, to not only you're managing really far distances, you're managing vast differences in time zones and timing and things like that. Yes. So I, I love that way. I mean, because even like we would fly from Tucson to, to say Florida and even, even, yeah. even on that cross country trip, yeah. there's, there, there's a jet lag component and things like that. So yes. I really like that sort of getting, getting your clock reorganized right away by kind of trying to match up with where you're going. Um, yes. I guess another thing that I was thinking about in terms of vocal care and things like that is if you find yourself in the situation where you come down with a cold or something like that and the performance is coming and at least for me, there's old adages like the show must go on and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. How do you, have you ever encountered a situation like that? And, and, and if you haven't, what, what would you do if you did? Yes, I actually had that happen in 2015 and 16. I got really sick and I don't know what I was doing. I just, you know, one of the things about, I think, having, you know, doing what you love is, that, as you say, you, you love to do it. So you always want to do it. Yeah. But at this, this particular time that I'm thinking of, I kept saying yes to everything. I was like, yes, I'll do this concert in Dublin. Yes. I'll do this concert in Berlin. Yes. I'll go back to London and do, and I was just saying yes, all of the time. And so I actually had, I was in, I think three different countries. And then I went back to Germany where I was staying at the time to sing in Dresden, and I had a cold and the cold, you know, like the cold can start in your nose and then it goes down and then it's in your throat and then it's in your chest. And what singers don't want is for it to be in their, their chest and their throat, you know, that's like just the worst. So I had all of this phlegm, just excuse me, but all this just junk in my throat. And every yeah. time I tried to sing, I would crack notes and I was really annoyed. <laughs> I was really annoyed, really frustrated. And uh, thank God my husband was with me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I have to cancel. I don't want to cancel. And I was like being nuts, you know, and he's really calm. And so he's like, listen, I'm going to get you some honey lemon ginger tea. And he made me this tea and, you know, I prayed and I was like, Lord, if you want me to do this, if you want me to sing, then please help me to feel better. And if, and, and maybe I wasn't supposed to sing because maybe I just needed a break, you know, but I literally woke up that next morning and I felt like I could conquer the world. So I, you know, I was able to sing and that's, that's only happened to me. Thank God. That's only happened to me twice. Uh, I've never had to cancel because of sickness really. And that's a blessing. But when it does happen that I get sick, I do my best to get over it as quickly as possible. So I, I actually carry with me Tylenol, uh, daytime Tylenol, cold, and I think it's called cold and flu, but it's really strong, the extra strength kind. And I have both the, the caplets and the liquid. And so sometimes maybe a doctor would say, don't do this, but I've been known to take like two of the pills and then drink a little bit of the, of the actual, um, liquid. And I find that it coats my throat and whatever phlegm, or if I have a really bad chest cold, I find that I can still sing on it, mm. which you're actually not supposed to do, but I have done it. Yeah. 
Okay. Wow. It seems like from my vantage point though, the best, the best thing you can be doing for your voice in terms of maintaining it is like you said, learning to say no every once in a while, which I imagine is challenging, especially like in the situation you were then where you're trying to build your career or build who you are, how, how did you manage to sort of start realizing that as much as you love it and as much as you want to keep rising in the ranks of opera singers, that it's best for you to say no to some opportunities and saying no is always difficult, especially if it's something that you really want to do. That's the thing. It's hard to say no. It's still hard to say no. I, I feel like, you know, I mean, because what is that? There's this thing. It's like, what is it? F O M O is it what fear of missing out? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, I've, I've heard people say that and I, there is definitely a fear of missing out. There's a fear of like, Oh, what if I don't sing here at this opera house? And they think, Oh, well, Angel Blue wasn't here. So we're not going to hire her for the next opera that comes up or, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uncertainty, I think, when, whenever I say no to something, but I do have to just trust that I've made the right decision, you know, otherwise, I mean, otherwise I'll, I'll run myself into the ground. And like we talked about earlier, I'll be burned out and that's Mm. no fun either. I'd rather, I'd rather say no and still be able to sing and still be able to, to be in a good place with my voice than to say yes to everything. You know, it's, it's, it's about, I think it's, it's more about quality than it is quantity for me now. I, I see that, you know. Yeah. No, again, another great example of the importance of knowing yourself and knowing what you need versus what you want. Um, I guess one thing that strikes me about opera singing is not only is it just a great sort of individual performance, but there's also such kind of amazing opportunities to collaborate and work with somebody else, whether it's the orchestra, whether it's the director, whether it's another singer. So I guess on that last note, how do you kind of approach singing with somebody versus singing by yourself and have like... I guess if you could talk a little bit about that, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I love, you know, it's, it's like, if I may liken it to to being an athlete, because you're on a team. Yeah. You know, I mean, sure, you know, I, it, the, the marquee could say Angel Blue is Mimi or Angel Blue is Violetta. But the truth is, I can't sing the opera without my team. I can't sing the opera without the orchestra or the, without the conductor, without the man who's singing Alfredo or Rodolfo or whoever, I can't sing it without the, the people backstage doing the makeup and the men backstage, you know, moving the set, the crew, we're a team. Um, I suppose the way I go into everything is that it's not about me. I'm a, I'm a piece of the puzzle. Mm. I'm not the whole puzzle, but I'm a piece of it. And I think I'm an important piece, but I also think that everybody else is an important piece as well. And I think that for me, the most, the most vital aspect of singing with other people is knowing that it's not just about you it's also about them you know and being a giving colleague you know there's actually there's this thing if I may really quickly there's this thing in opera we call it um you like you cheat out right so if you're looking at the stage then if you're looking at the stage from the audience perspective if you see the back of a singer it's because the singer is allowing the other colleague to to be downstage, to be at facing the audience. And I do that all the time. I try to do that as much as I can for my colleagues, you know, to have them cheating out so that they can be seen by the audience, especially if I'm not, if I'm not singing in that moment, the audience doesn't need to see me so Mm -hmm. I can give the audience my back. And I think that's just, um, I've had a lot of colleagues do that for me as well, but I really feel like things, things such as, as that are, that's what, that's the camaraderie. That's the beauty of, of being an artist and, and being able to share the stage with someone, you know, 
it's not, and I guess it just always goes back to, it's not always about me. You know, sometimes it is, <laughs> sometimes it is in the show, but for the most part, we're, we're, a, we're a team. It's a team effort. Absolutely. I love that. Um, kind of along that sort of building the performance from the ground up, how do you incorporate sort of the intricate vocal performance with any sort of blocking or choreography that you kind of have to do simultaneously? Does the, does the singing come first? Does the blocking come first? Do you try to do them together? How does that work? Yeah, sometimes, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest, sometimes the singing is sacrificed and it doesn't, it doesn't always come out mm. well, if it's, if it's choreographed a certain way or, or if it's blocked a certain way. I mean, there's been a couple of times where I've done an opera where the director's like, you know, I want you to turn around and face the back of the stage. And you're like, ah, but I can't see the conductor and then, <laughs> you know, they can't see me and, and whatever. But I mean, there's always a way around it but I'm going to be real with you. And for sure, there have been times when I've been asked to do something. Actually, it just happened in this opera that I just did called Fire Shut Up in My Bones. There was a scene where I was supposed to, like I said earlier, I'm tall, I'm a tall girl. And I was supposed to make myself like into a pretzel and sing, you know, basically, you know, the stretch that you do where you put like one leg like you put one leg over the other and then you like turn to like crack your back or something yes. to stretch your back, right? So I was singing in that position oh and it gosh. sounded horrible. <laughs> it sounded so bad. It sounded so bad. And the director came up to me and he was like, okay, maybe don't do it. Maybe don't turn your body so much because you know, you're, you, it doesn't sound. And I was like, no, I, I know it doesn't sound so great. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, so maybe just turn your body just, just a little bit. So, I mean, there's a happy medium there, but for sure there's those moments where it's like, uh, don't really know how to negotiate this one, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned there, like being able to see the orchestra, being able to see the conductor, how much kind of give and take or nonverbal communication is going on between yourself and the, and the, and the musicians and the conductor throughout the course of a, of a performance? I, I'm a singer who loves the conductor. I love the conductor and I want to do what the conductor wants me to do. Uh, and that's just because I think that's really from my training. Yeah. Because when I was, when I did my very first opera, I was 14 or 15 years old. And I remember the conductor was, he told all of us, you know, you have to watch the conductor because the conductor is the glue that holds everything together. And they're the liaison between the orchestra and what's happening on stage. So for me personally, I talk to the conductor usually before the performance and during the performance, I'm constantly checking in with him or her. I'm always engaging with them because I need to know what they want me to do. But I also get a lot from them because most conductors are, are very expressive. So you can feel like you can see it. It's visceral. You know, you can see in their face when they're ready for the orchestra to get really loud. And I want to get really loud with them. And you can also see in their face when they're coming down and they don't want the orchestra so loud. And I don't want to be so loud as well. So for me, the, or the, the orchestra, of course, is always important, but the conductor is just the conductor is that glue. It's the tape that keeps everything from falling apart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow. No, it's so, so cool to hear sort of your inside opinion on, on what goes on. Cause I mean, I am full disclosure, a kind of an inexperienced opera watcher, but just in the, I, I had no <laughs> idea that there's all these things kind of going on behind the scenes or not even behind the scenes on stage that the audience maybe doesn't recognize or perceive. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I guess you talked about the importance of taking breaks and when you, when you're, when you're taking a break, you don't even sing. Or, or you're trying to sing quite as much. You don't even look at the piano. What are some things that you like to do kind of away from singing that help you kind of recharge and refresh? 
Oh my gosh, I love the Real Housewives franchise. Okay. I watch, I love it. I know, I know that I should say something more um intelligent, I guess, but that that's fine. I love the Housewives of Salt Lake City, Atlanta, Beverly Hills. I watch all of them. And um, most of the time I, I'm I'm inspired by those women because of their charity work, which mm. might sound funny because I know most people get stuck on the drama. But right. I I always <laughs> they get stuck on the drama, but I really in, enjoy um, seeing how many charities they all are a part of. Of course, that you know, if I were to say something a little bit more um, serious, I, I do like reading. Um, my favorite author is I like John Hagee, and so right now I'm actually reading this book called Absolute Power. And I'm also reading a book by Pastor Jensen Franklin called Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. So I, I enjoy reading a lot. Um, I listen to a ton of motivational messages. And what else do I do? I mean, I spend time with my family. I'm I'm kind of actually boring if, if I really, if I were to be really honest, I'm pretty boring. I like to walk around Jersey. I like to just walk outside because it's so beautiful here. It's very green, very different from where I grew up because I grew up in the desert. It's not so green right now because it's winter, Yeah. but, um, but I enjoy uh, nature and, and walking around outside. I mean, I might get, you know, excited or scared if I see like a deer or something, <laughs> but, but I do enjoy like taking walks and things like that. Okay. Right on. All right. Well, this has been so, so great. And I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I do have like six or seven kind of rapid fire questions to close with. Cool. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Here we go. First one, favorite place you've performed. Oh no. <laughs> um, gosh, that's hard. That's hard. Oh gosh. And it's rapid fire. This, it can be, no. it can be medium speed fire. If, if, if you need Okay. To favorite place I've performed. You know what? Just because it was so amazing. Uh, Sydney, Australia. Mm. At the Sydney Opera House? At the Sydney Opera House, yes. Oh my gosh, wow. Okay, I don't know if you've seen karaoke, but if you do, or if you did, do you have a go-to karaoke Journey. song? Don't Journey. stop believing. Oh, yes. that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> do you have a favorite Christmas carol or holiday song? Uh, the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Okay, nice. Yes. Do you have a favorite musical artist who's not an opera singer and then a favorite opera singer? So I've always loved Dolly Parton. So mm. Dolly Parton, I have so many. I love Mariah Carey. I mean, I have so, so many and my brain is going crazy with that one. Um, so I love pop singers and I like opera is uh, Leontine Price and Renee Fleming. Okay, beautiful. Um, what was the first opera you saw? Turandot by Puccini. I was four years old. Okay, wow. Yes. And do you have a favorite opera? Turn that. Turn that. There we go. Yeah, I think so. And do you have a preferred language to sing an opera in? I really love German. I like singing mm. in German. It's hard for me. I, I I have to study a lot, but I would probably say my favorite language to sing in is German and Italian. Okay. All right. The last one, maybe before COVID, do you have a favorite restaurant to go to in New York City after you're done performing at the Met? The Smith at Lincoln Center. Okay. Beautiful. Well, uh, Angel, thank you so, so much. This has been really incredible from my standpoint. And I know the listener is going to feel the same way. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time and, and for sharing all, all you did about yourself. This has been so great. Thank you so much for inviting me to your show. I wish you all the best in everything you do. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Separation is in the Preparation podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do what you can to share it with others.
As always, you can find us on Instagram at thesepisintheprep, or if you'd like to reach me directly, I can be found on all social media platforms under the handle at wellapps11. Thanks, and take care.